You are now listening to Mark Pritchett of Northridge Church. For more information, please visit northridgethomaston.com. Always remember, no matter what you've done, your sin is never greater than our God. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you that you have called us to surrender all to you, God, that you've not asked us to handle anything of our life, but just to chase after you as we give it to you, God. And we today give you this service. We give you our hearts. We give you this body of believers. God, we give you our frailties. We give you our fears. You said you've given us a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. God, we cast our fear at your feet. Lord, we thank you, Father, for loving us first. Thank you, Jesus. And all of God's people in the house said amen. Come on now. Let's hear you say amen. God bless you. Y'all may be seated. Amen and amen. I want to say thank you so much for uh, you guys praying for me and encouraging me. And I'm getting a lot of text on the road. I'm getting a, a lot of questions on the road. How are you doing this, Mark? You were in Tampa last night. Uh, there's planes out there now that can take you places really fast. Um, but I want to echo kind of what I challenge you guys to do because that's really been the, the posture of my heart for this season. Uh, and I want to say thank you again, church and, and, and deacon board and our board of stewards for just encouraging me and allowing me this time to, to just, just do what I feel like God's called me to do. And, and I want to assure you, though, that uh, I am getting rest. I was talking to one of the guys here this morning. I'm, I'm getting a lot of rest. In fact, w- when I get pulled away, uh, I'm on the tour bus or whatever riding uh, with new song and, and, and there's such an encouragement. There's a pastor, a tour pastor that encourages us. We pray together. We serve together. We sing together. We celebrate and it's just been great to see what God's doing uh, on this tour. we got about 10, 10 weeks left on it, and um, it's going to be an amazing, amazing journey. But I promise you, I'm spending time with the Lord. I'm spending more time with the Lord probably because I have all day, every day that I'm on the, on the road to just set time away and study and spend time with the Lord and, and talk with my, my wife and so forth. And so we're engaged. She is 100% behind me. I couldn't do what I do without a wife that supports me. And, and I've been working with her singing. I hope you all enjoying her voice. I've been working with her on the side. Yeah, no, I'm not. But uh, any bad singers out there in the house? Any bad singers? Just let's just unite, amen. Let's unite. But um, I just want to say thank you so much. But in in the context of where we're going today, we started a series last week entitled "Strong Finishes," and we started talking about coming into the new year that it would almost seem applicable that you would teach that in the December months as you're kind of bringing the year down. But what I submitted to you guys uh, a couple weeks ago that as we embark on this new series that I'm really excited about and God's speaking to me first through this is that you can't have a strong finish until you first have a strong what? Beginning. And I believe that to be true that as we're laying foundations in our life, last week we talked about out of the book of Jonah uh, that strong finishes begin with humble beginnings. They start with humble beginnings. And we talked about how Jonah was just given a simple three-word calling by the Lord to arise and to go and to cry aloud. And how he defied that calling and turned and went the other way and what the ramifications uh, that unfolded after that. And then we see him turning back and going. And in fact, the end of all ends for that simple, humble beginning of just get up, arise, go and cry out. How the Bible says that the entire country, Nineveh, from youngest to old, repented and turned to God. Now, if you're going to read the rest of the story, you find out later in, in the history of Nineveh, they actually turned back to their wicked ways. But God, through his sovereignty, gave them an opportunity to repent and to cry out to God. So today we're going to continue that message. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I want you to turn with me 
to the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, and we're going to read one verse today. And today I want to bring a message entitled, uh, Strong Finishes Have a Sure Foundation. Look to your neighbor and say, Sure Foundation. Everybody go ahead and take your right hand and hold it up real high. Put it on the neck of the person next to you. If they're on your left, take your left hand. Make it real weird. Massage your neck and say, loosen up. (laughs) All right. Isaiah chapter 28, the prince of the prophets, Isaiah, one of the major prophets, just some of the greatest writings in the book of Isaiah. Let me go ahead and give you an announcement that I have failed to give for the last three weeks, and I just saw it in my notes, so I'm going to give you an announcement that we've been talking about for a while. We're going to begin a corporate fast on the 22nd of January. That's a, is that next week? Okay, next week. So we're going to start that fast. Out in the foyer, uh, Dr. Nancy Butler has been so kind to put together a very lengthy, very exhaustive uh, explanation of the Daniel fast and some some recipes and a lot of questions that I often get that I don't have answers for. So we have put that together. If you uh, if they run out out there and you don't get a copy of one, please, I think, Tracy, we have a form out there. They can fill out a name yeah, and an address, and we'll shoot it to you electronically through your email. But please get that and join us in this corporate fast. It's very personal. Know that I will not be coming up to you and ask you if you're fasting. That's a very personal thing between you and the Lord. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that on Wednesday night if you'd like to come up for our Bible study. And I'll talk about it again next week. But I just want to encourage you to set some things aside, whether it's fasting through the form of a Daniel fast. Uh, I do encourage you that if you do more than that, to please consult your physician and make certain that uh, you are physically capable of doing things additional if you were to do a total food fast. And some of you may do that. But also you can fast other things. You can fast Facebook, social media. Some of y'all just passed out. You would rather not eat for 40 days and 40 nights than you had not go on Facebook for five minutes. But uh, maybe that'd be what God would be calling you to. So just pray about that. Why do we fast? We fast because we are declining to ourself and our desires. We're dying to self that God may increase in us, as John the Baptist said, and and believing that we're chasing after God for some things that I'm going to share with you at the end of this service. As well as you know, it's uh, Vision Sunday as well. I'm going to give you a couple of things to be praying about. So without further ado, let me go ahead and get into the text here today. Isaiah 28 and 16 says it this way. Therefore, says the Lord God, all capital, behold, I lay in Zion a stone, and I'm going to give you three things here, a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone that is a sure foundation. Let me read those again. A stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you, Father, as we rightly divide this word with truth and with power, that you through the Holy Spirit will speak to not only me, but through me to your people, God, that we would be challenged, equipped, motivated, that we would leave out of here differently today than when we came in. We love you. We honor you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. I'll give you three things this morning that I believe we need to tap into to have a sure foundation. As I said before, if we're going to have a great finish, we've got to have a great beginning. If we're going to have a strong finish, we've got to have a strong beginning. And I believe with all of my heart, not only do we have humble beginnings, as we saw when we started this church two and a half years ago, and I love what Tony Watkins says so eloquently, we are not about to break ground on our building. We broke ground in July two and a half years ago when we stepped out in faith. We broke ground because the breaking of ground is stepping out into the the ground that has not yet been tilled, it has not been fallow ground, it's not been touched, and we've stepped into some areas that the enemy didn't like, but I praise God, God is honoring that. Aren't you glad today that God honors when you step out into the great unknown? I believe if you want to walk on the water, the first thing you got to do is you got to realize you got to get out of the what? 
Got to get out of the boat. And that's what we're doing. And we believe that with all of our heart. Number one, I want to give you this morning in establishing a sure foundation. Number one, you need to secure a builder. Now, of course, we're talking today both in the literal spiritual form, but we're also speaking in metaphors today. We're going to be building a building, so this will parallel what God is doing through the building of his church at Northridge Church. But also, we're talking about building up a body, building up a person in Christ. So you'll see the metaphors, and I'll try to draw, draw the balance in very nicely. Secure the builder, number one, is a stone, a stone for a foundation. Psalms 127 and 1 says it this way. Accept the Lord, build a house. Y'all say, accept the Lord. Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. I want you to know today that if the Lord Jesus Christ is not building the house that we're going to live in, he's not building the house we're going to worship in, he's not building up the body in which you inhabit. The Bible says it's the temple of God. You've been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. Unless the Lord build it, a man labor in vain. Everybody say amen. The reality is, is we want to know that there is, let's look in the natural. There's a builder that we have secured and his name is Tommy Bird and he's with B&E Builders out of Centerville, Georgia. And I've been advised by so many people, Mark, make certain that when you do this project, other pastors have told me this, Benny Tate told me this, my old pastor in LaGrange told me this, a lot of friends in this room said, Mark, if you do this project, make certain of one thing, that you don't subcontract this, that you're not the guy making sure that the holes are dug and the paint is picked out and the this and the that, that you would hire a builder, secure a builder that's going to do a turnkey job. And that's exactly what we've done. Do you know why? Because if I'm the contractor, and he's the subcontractor and I got all these subcontractors out there I'm going to be involved in every aspect of it and how many of you know that's not where I'm supposed to be as a pastor preaching the word of God but watch this the same is true in our life if we want to handle this little area over here we want to subcontract that out you know what Lord we really need you in the Romans 10 13 scriptures for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved we need you over here in Proverbs that, that talks about the wisdom when we walk with wise people we want the part over here in Ephesians 2 8 9 says for by grace are you saved through faith it's not of our works lest any man should boast but do we want this part over here where we say we got to love our wife as Christ loved the church all the men in the house said hallelujah but see, the reality is, is we want to pick and choose. I mean, it's interesting. I, I was speaking to a guy the other day, and he, he began talking about the scriptures and this, that, and the other. And he stands on the promises of God. But then there's a couple of areas that he didn't agree with, so he just discounts that. Can I tell you something? It's the whole of the Word of God. It's the 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis, ending with Malachi. And then starting in Matthew, 27 books in the New Testament. Start with Matthew and end with, even so, come Lord Jesus in the book of Revelation. The reality is, is you can't hold on to a piece of it because God is not a God who says, you can kind of hang out with me when you want to. Can I say this? He's not a band-aid. He wants all of you. He don't want you to drive through and order up what you want. When he, when you pray, he doesn't want a, a monologue. Lord, thank you. Lord, bless you. Lord, God bless you. I'm out of here in Jesus' name. There's a dialogue. God wants all of you. He wants your marriage. He wants your home. And here's what we do. When we think about this verse, except the Lord build a house, then all the work we're doing, we labor in vain. Can I, can I give you a little caveat to this message today? That's a picture of why we in our life are running from pillar to post and getting nothing done. That is a picture of why we're trying to be the best mom and the best dad, yet we, it feels like a futile effort. 
That's why when we try to, to love our spouse when they're lovable and, and we try to honor them, if, if, if the wife, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.22, would submit it to her own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the home, even Christ the head of the church. And a lot of times we have this issue that we take with that. But we really want to embark over here on verse 25 where it says, Husbands, love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Can I tell you something? You can't subcontract the word of God out into applications that you want it to apply to your life. And the others you just kind of let fall to the wayside. You see, we want God to build us up, to establish us. The psalmist says, when I was in a horrible pit, I cried out unto the Lord, and he, I love this, he inclined unto me. You know what the Bible's saying? He stood up and he leaned in. You see, when we surrender, can I tell you something? If we truly give our life to God, he will take it. The problem is not that we don't want to surrender, as we saw evident here a moment ago with people coming down, even before the preaching started. The problem is, is we give it to them on Sunday and we take it back on Monday. See, you can't get halfway in. How many of you know you can't be halfway pregnant? How many of you know that? Women in the house. No such thing. Are you pregnant? Well, yeah, kind of. No, you are or you're not. Well, can I tell you something? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we get into a lot of dialogue these days about um, this this second touch and this second baptism and all this. Let Let me explain something to you. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, watch what happened. I got, watch this, I got all of the Holy Spirit that I would ever need. The Bible says it was settled. My name was written in heaven. I am a royal priesthood. I have the authority, the same power in me that actually rose Jesus from the dead. And he said, greater works will you do in my name than I did, Jesus said. Here's the problem. It's not how much of him that you get. It's how much of you you surrender over to him. You see, the problem is just like a vessel. If I fill this fully with water, then make no mistake about it, I can't get anything else in it. But if I take this and I pour it out, then it becomes what? Say it with me. An empty vessel. Then we become a picture of the potter in Jeremiah 18, where he told Jeremiah, he said, go down to the potter's house. I love this. I love the fact that when he went down to the potter's house, the Bible says that there was a piece of clay and there was a work being wrought on the wheel. And it says, and the potter took it in his hands and it was marred. And then he saw that it was marred and he decided to make it again another vessel. But I love the fact that even though it was marred, it was still in the potter's hand. I love the fact that even though it was cracked, it was still in the potter's hand. I love the fact that even though he was going to make it again, he didn't call in somebody beneath him to come in and start. It's always in the potter's hand. Can I tell you something? When we get to a place where we realize that the sure foundation of our faith is rested in Jesus Christ and him alone, then we will live a victorious life that he's called us to live. But if you want to subcontract your life out, if you want to take over certain areas, can I tell you what God will do? He loves you so much. You know what he'll do? He'll let you do it. But the reality is he doesn't want that for us. Everything we have built in this church and everything we will build, both in buildings, in ministries, and people, is not built by pastors. And you should be glad of that today because let me tell you something. If a man can take you to something, a man can drop you off and leave you and walk away. You see, the reality is, is there's no difference. Please hear me, and I say this all the time. There's no different other than the calling on my life than, than you. You and I have the ability to go boldly before the throne of grace. You have the same power in you, not that I have or Billy Graham had, but you have the same power in you that Jesus used to raise himself from the dead. It's a matter of are we willing to, as the song said, Fully surrender everything that we have, lest even in your walk, not only in church, but even in your walk, you labor in vain. 
So not only do we need to have a secure builder, a stone for a foundation. Secondly, we need to secure a starting point. I love the fact that there's a tried stone, as it says in Isaiah 28. There's a tried stone that we can grab onto. And that tried stone, his name is Jesus Christ. He's a person. There's a lot of religions that find that God is a God in the cosmos, a God out there, a God that, watch this, I love Ravi Zacharias. He's an apologist of our day, probably one of the smartest men walking on planet Earth today as far as I'm concerned. Anybody ever heard Ravi? Go check him out. Unbelievably brilliant. He's from India. I've had the pleasure of meeting him before, and, and I melted. I mean, it was like I was meeting a rock star. This guy blows my mind with his brilliance and his, his, yet his humbleness. But I remember he was uh, engaged in a debate, as he often does. He's been met heads of state. He's been all over the globe uh, defending the Christian faith. And I never forget one time he was speaking to a Muslim, and uh, I mean, a, a, a debater of the Muslim faith and, and one of uh, Hinduism, which was a faith he came out of, and several others. And I remember he was sitting very confidently, yet just quietly and humbly, had his leg crossed. And I remember he was on the panel. And the way the debates work is there's a dialogue, there's a question maybe from a college, Harvard, Princeton, whatever. And there was a college of, really, don't you think that we're just serving the same God? And most of the other contributors got up and said, you know, we are. Whether Allah, whether this, whether that, it's the same God. We're all pursuing the same God. And this one guy got up, just eloquently spoke, and he says, you know, it's like this. He said, it's like there's this, this one God, this one creator, this one being on top of this great mountain we call life. And there are many different trails that lead up to this one God. Some of us get there on the back side, some on the front, some on the side. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we're just pursuing this one God, this one creator. He, get, he went and sat down and Ravi Zacharias got up and he kind of pulled his shirt down and he walked very softly. He said, you know, you're kind of right. You guys have this one God at the top of the mountain and y'all are trying with everything you have to climb and claw your way up to the top to reach that God, that creator that you call God. The difference is, is my God was at the top of that mountain and he sent his son down the mountain and he got in the valley and he grabbed me by the head and he lifted my head in Psalm 3 and he set my feet upon a rock and he saved me and he established my goings. I don't have to go to the top of the mountain. He'll meet me in the valley. Aren't you glad of that today? Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says it this way. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken unto him. He's, he's drawing a parallel. Don't miss this. He says, if he hears and he does them, I will liken unto him a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And when the rain descended and the floods came, how many of you know the floods are going to come? How many of you know it's going to rain on the just and the unjust? How many of you know? Come on, get your hands up. Don't, don't do that. You'll go outside and it's going to be raining in your world. The reality is, is it just sometimes bad things happen. But before, however, let me make a sidebar. Before you get into that little uh, puzzling quorum, if you will, of saying, why do good things, bad things happen to good people? You need to go to the book of Romans and realize there are none good, no, not one. Listen, if reality sets in and justice was served and you got what you deserve, you and I would be punished for all eternity. We didn't get Christ because we deserved him. We got Christ because he loved us and he gave us his grace. But watch what he says. If a man would hear this and he would do it, he would be like a wise man which builds a house upon a rock. And when the rain descends and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house, but it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. 
You see, when I secure the starting point and realize, and I, I talked to a couple of guys, I see Steve Rush sitting over there, and, and I make no mistake about it. I know you guys maybe have felt like, as have I, that maybe we have drug our feet to get to this point of breaking ground. But I, I want you to know we have not. I, I know Steve Pierce can attest to this. Let me tell you something. Before you ever think about building something, you got to know what's underneath the dirt that you're building upon. Amen? you got to know that there's something under there that's going to hold this, this multi-ton structure. And, that, and watch this. Here's the, here's the key. We could just go anywhere on that property, Steve, and we could pour a slab, and we could erect the metal, and we could start drawing these things in with ca- I don't know the vernacular. Am I, am I close? Okay. We could build and put a roof on it. We put an incredible sound system, guys. David, we could build the best stage in the world. But check it out. If we did not sure up that foundation and make certain that what we were building upon would hold it over the test of time, we labor in vain. And the reality is, is it will not stand. I'm not talking about just the structure, by the way. Because the beauty in us being able to meet in here in a place that's not our house, a place that's not the house of God for us, we've learned that we stand on another truth. Not that we can gravitate to a place that we call church, but that we are the church. That we meet in a schoolhouse, for goodness. How cool is that? But then when we walk out of here, this becomes a schoolhouse again. Well, Mark, how is this the house of God? I'm so glad you asked. Does he hang out in here all week long when the custodians are doing their thing? I kind of think that they do. I've met a few of them. But you know how he gets here? Anybody want to shout out how he gets here? We bring him with him. We bring him with us. See, the foundation of our church is not a pastor. It's not a song. It's the Holy Spirit of God that rests in our soul. That's cross and him crucified and resurrected. Sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I love this. He says, For it was founded upon a rock, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and does not do them, here's the, here's the opposite of that, is likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. I was talking about building pavilion, and I realized uh, Stephen and I were saying, he said, you can't build it right here. This is, there's water running out here. It's a sandy area. You can't, you can't build something on that. You got to go find a good foundation. And watch what it says. The reason why, it says, and the rain descended and the floods came. Same paradigm. And the, and, the, and the winds blew and it beat upon the house and it fell. And don't miss this last word. And great was the fall. You see, guys, we can build the monstrosity of structures. But if it's not built on a tried stone, on the foundation, why do we secure the builder first? Because we want to make sure that guy knows that the foundation is the most important part of the entire structure. Can I tell you something? The thing I love about Northridge Church, I absolutely love it. And everybody on our staff will tell you, we have a meeting every single Monday. Every single Monday we have a meeting in our office. You know what we do? We talk about what happened. You know why we do that? Because we want to make certain that every single time we join, every single time we gather, we try to do something a little better than we did last time. We're building and, and constantly rebuilding and fashioning our foundation. Because, guys, here's what I want, and I hope you do. I hope that the things that we're doing today are going to far outlive you and I sitting in this room. And I'm not talking about just the church. I'm talking about the impact you're making. I'm really close to the end, aren't I? I I really want you to grab hold of this. Let, let Let me say it this way. A tried stone is we must realize everything we do must flow out of this tried and true pattern of living and loving. Galatians gives us the, the plan of that. It's called fruit of the Spirit. There's nine fruit that are mentioned there that really gives us a pattern for the foundation upon which to build our faith, our church, our life. 
It's not, it's not built on stuff that can fade away. All this stuff will burn up. The music, the sound, the lights, and all the stuff, it will burn up. The starting point out there will burn up. But see, people and the eternal impacts that you and I are making in people, that will last for all of eternity. Do you know that last night as I was in Winter Jam in Tampa, and I heard my good friend Tony Nolan sharing the gospel, and I prayed with him before he went out. And he came back over there, and I started to weep. I've just turned into a big crybaby since I have grand, grandchildren. And, and, and as he walked back over to me, I hugged him, and I was crying. And I said, he goes, what is it, dude? Did I mess it up? I said, no, man, check it out. So there's 13,129 people in this room. And do you know that if one person in this room, just one, maybe somebody on that back, top, top, top level, if they gave their life to Jesus tonight, God will have looked down upon that one gathering and said, it was worth it. You see, the foundation of what we do has to be tried. I love this. Man, y'all need to write this verse down right here. Isaiah 43, I can quote it, but I want to read the exact words to you. But now, says the Lord, who created you, I love this. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. You know what he's saying? I know you. I know you, and I've called you by name. You are mine. I've got you in my hand. I'm covering you with my other. You know what? The rivers are going to come, and you're going to walk across some difficult terrain, but they will not overflow you because I got you, and you're mine. And over here, when the fires and all the storms come in your life, it won't consume you. You say, Mark, is that possible? Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Study the passage, and I love the outflow of that passage. The Bible says that when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, the two men, the strongest men of the, in, in, the ter- in the area, threw them in, and the Bible says the fire consumed the guards that threw them into the fire. But the Bible says that as they went down into the flames, they once stood up and said, whoa, whoa, great king, how many did you throw in there? He said, we threw three. He says, but there's four, and, one, and they're up walking around, and one looks like the son of God you see the reality is is when I go through the fires of life when I go through the the detriment of life I know that there's a tried stone who has gone before me who has endured the temptations who has endured the weeping who has endured the hardships and even the much more so much that he endured the cross for me and for you and watch this when I lean on him he says cast your cares upon me for I care for you And I love the fact, I love the fact that I don't have to make an introduction every time I call upon the Lord. Jeremiah says it this way, call on me and I will answer you. And I love this, and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. The reality is that the foundational principle of everything we do rests in the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. And if it's not built upon that, as the band comes, we have no hope. There's no reason to gather. If we get in here and sing songs, but Jesus is not lifted up, we've just sung some songs. If I get in here and preach and Jesus' name is not edified and glorified, then watch what he says. If my name would be lifted up, I will draw all men into myself. If we don't lift up the name of Jesus, we're doing nothing. We're just saying some words. But boy, oh boy, I love this. But if just two or three would gather in my name, he says, I'm in the midst of them. It's not about a number of people. It's about a heartbeat, a passion to just always gather 
on the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. If you look into the Old Testament, you see all the stories about rocks and, and, and the different um, metaphors and parallels that he draws. And, of course, to the story of Moses bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. You know the story? And he went to a place where he, he said the people are crying out for, for food, and he sent the manna, kind of a foreshadowing of the bread of life. And then he says, it's not enough. They, they don't want just bread. They want some meat. So he sent the quail, and they were able to eat the meat. And then he says, hey, they need something to wash it down with. So he gave him a soda pop. No, I'm just kidding. And he said, he said, take your staff, your authority in your right hand, and strike this rock in free water. Living water will flow out. And it was crystal clear. And it was clean, and it was refreshing. And they did that all up until the point in time where God told Moses, he said, now I want you to speak to that rock. Have you ever wondered why he did that? There's a reason. Because that rock was foreshadowing the person of Jesus Christ who would go to the cross but one time. He would not go back to the cross. He would not have to endure a second time. There would not have to be another sacrifice. He would fulfill the sacrificial system to a T. He would be struck but one time. And watch this. And now you and I, you know what we live under? The dispensation of grace. We don't have to strike the rock again. Now all we got to do is speak to him. And one living water flows forth. And you see, the rock of our salvation in the person of Jesus Christ is the one who will not let the storm overtake you. And I love this last one. Thirdly, we need to secure the cornerstone. It's a precious cornerstone. Ephesians 2, 9 through 19 through 22 says it this way. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself, being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Matthew goes on to say that he's also the cornerstone which you rejected as he told the religious crowd of the day. You see, a cornerstone is so important in our faith it's important for a contractor, people who understand constructing a foundation. Once that foundation is sure, once the builder has been secured, then they take that one stone, that first stone called the cornerstone, and they take meticulous effort to set that one stone in place, situate it, make sure it's level, make sure it's sure, make sure it's tried, because everything from that stone is going to flow. You'll pull off of that one stone to get your next corner. And then from that corner, you'll pull and you'll get your next corner. And from that one, you'll pull and get your final corner. And then you can take from that cornerstone and go all the way across diagonally. And then from the other corner to the other side and make sure your, your, your building is square. Everything pulls off of that one corner. And the Bible says that Jesus is not only the cornerstone, he's the chief cornerstone. See, everything we do, we live, move, and breathe, flows out of the person of Jesus Christ. I said this last week, and I want you to think about this with me. Did God truly, in eternity past, did he sit in his throne in heaven with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Did they sit in that place in dialogue? The Bible indicates that there was dialogue with them. Even in Genesis when he said, let us make man in our image, there was a dialogue, communication. But see, the Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So before he created humanity, 
It was a dialogue. God the Father looked at Jesus the Son and, and each of their roles, distinctly different yet triunally involved together in the Trinity. I wonder what that would have looked like. Jesus, you know, we're going to frame this, this thing we call the world, the earth. We're going to do it in six days. And on the seventh, we're going to rest. And, but on that sixth day, after we've created the Grand Canyon, and after we've created the Utah, the Canaanland National Forest, after we've created the great Rocky Mountains, after we've done all these marvelous things, just by speaking them into existence, we're going to take the dust of the earth and we're going to just fashion it together. And there's a day where we're going to speak through a man named King David who's a psalmist and we're going to tell him that you've been fearfully and wonderfully made, intimately knitted together in your mother's womb. And as we're doing that, Intimately taking the time. It'll be me. It'll be you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you'll, you'll be over here as well because we're, we're together. And we're going to fashion this man, Adam, who will represent all man. And as we look into this dust, it's going to resemble us. Both in looks and in character and abilities. And then, and then maybe he just kind of said, but you know, Jesus, and you know this because you're me, but I, I, let's just say it out loud so that we can divinely place this in Scripture. Jesus, this man, Adam, is going to fail you. He's going to fail me. Holy Spirit, he's going to fail you. We're going to place him in this beautiful utopia, and we're going to give him the tree of life, and we're going we're to tell him, with his help me, the completer, Eve, the mother of all living, that they can rub the animals and they can name them and they can eat with them and the, the lion and the sheep and all these things can cohabitate and they don't even have to worry about clothing. I mean, because there's no nakedness. There's, no, there's nothing nasty about what we're doing because we're perfect. But this man that we're about to breathe into his nostrils, Jesus, we're going to tell him that he can eat from the tree of life and live forever and forever and forever. And when he calls on us, we can just walk with him in the cool of the day. We can walk in the garden. He can, he can dig in the ground and do the things he enjoys doing, but he won't even sweat one drop. Oh, and Holy Spirit, check this out. You know those roses that we're, we're talking about making? You know how beautiful they're going to be? How aromatic they're going to be? They're going to be edible even. You can eat them. And, and, and they'll be able to reach down and grab that rose and run their hand up the, up the base of that stem. And there won't be a thorn. There won't be any contamination. It won't need to, it won't need to rain because it's going to be, it's going to be drafting from the water of the earth because we're perfect. But this guy that we're about to give life, he's going to fail us. He's going to choose. He's going to choose one thing we tell him to not do and that's to eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil but, but the beauty in that is even when he's telling Jesus and Holy Spirit that they all know it fully and they don't have to look at the father and go oh why and then Jesus is going to speak up and God knows this Holy Spirit knows this but he's going to say it and declare it because they're going to put it in scripture divinely 
And Jesus is going to say, but you know what, Father, I'm, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to let him mess it up. We're going to crucify me before we ever breathe life into him and offer a plan of redemption to bring this man that we are yet to breathe life into back to us. And as in time ensues, he breathes life and his chest cavity opens up. But not only the breath, but the soul from God is transported into this man and he becomes a living soul. He stands up at the age of, looks like the age of 30. Perfect physique, perfect build, beautiful. His wife. And they walk hand in hand and do exactly what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said. They're going to fall. 2,000 years later, the flood, God destroys the entire earth because the Bible says that man's sin cried out from the earth. And a holy, just God has to deal entirely with sin. 2,000 years later, Jesus leaves eternity and steps into time. Jesus leaves holy, abode, the renown, the majesty of, of heaven, all the angelic host, and he steps into humanity. He lives as a little boy grows up, endures. At age 30, he comes into his earthly ministry. For three and a half years, he heals. He raises the dead. He lifts the, the crippled man and puts him on his feet. He walks through the streets of Jerusalem on a good Friday. On Palm Sunday, I should say, he walks in and they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Just one week later, the same people shall crucify him. They put him on a cross after a few mock trials. They beat him beyond recognition. As he's getting on that cross, you and I are on his mind. Redemption hangs for all to mock. Yet you and I enjoy, embrace redemptive plan that was framed before God ever breathed one word of creation I, I wonder did he endure all of that dialogue all of the preparatory steps and everything that had to happen and to get on that cross to feel the true pain of nails going through his hands and his feet the torn ripping of his side by the soldier's spear the one who would later realize he is truly the son of God repent and would go on to join the church at Ephesus I wonder, did all that unfolded to be placed in a borrowed tomb, and yet three days later, he got up to live 50 days for over 500 people to see him physically, walking the streets, eating fish, really tangibly in a glorified body, only in Acts 1-8 to ascend to the right hand of the Father, sitting there in a place of authority. Did he do all of that? And we merely sit back and just say, thank you, Lord. Or did that become the true chief cornerstone for us to do our part in building His glorious church? A church without spot. Do you know that Jesus Christ will stand in all of eternity with holes in His hands and His feet 
a wound opening in his side. Places in his skull where the thorns were placed on his. Do you know he will wear those scars for all of eternity according to the word of God? So that you and I will stand before God perfect without blemish. Guys, talking about a foundation. Talking about a sure foundation. You can build on that, amen. You can stand on that. It's tried. It's went through the fire and come out on the other side unscathed. The storms of life have raged. Yet he stands firm, interceding on our behalf. You know the one question I believe we will have to answer in heaven? Maybe when we only have to speak it. It won't be, man, were you a good person? Yeah, I was awesome. Hey, how much money did you give? Yeah, I gave this man. Never come up. You know what the one thing you're going to have to answer? What did you do with redemption? What did you do with Jesus? 